Our psalm of the day is Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your mouth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Our epistle lesson is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this portion of your scripture. We ask that you would send your spirit to open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. In his biography of the Apostle Paul, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright reflects on Paul's vision of Jesus on, his, on the road to Damascus, what we often call the conversion story of, of Saul. And he says this as he reflects. 
He raised his eyes to see the one he had worshipped and served all his life. And he comes face to face with Jesus of Nazareth. This moment shattered Saul's wildest dreams and at the same split second fulfilled them. This was the fulfillment of Israel's ancient scriptures, but also the utter denial of the way Paul had been reading them up to that point. What Wright so helpfully pulls together is that in this moment, Saul experiences two conflicting emotions. One is devastation, because he's been wrong about Jesus his whole life. He's been persecuting the church. And the other is excitement and joy, because what he has been anticipating and expecting has already come to pass. Friends, have you ever experienced something similar? Two conflicting emotions or experiences at the same time. That's what Paul is writing about here in 2 Corinthians. Over the last several weeks, we've been discussing uh, what Christian maturity looks like through the lens of Paul's prayers. And here we actually get a blessing rather than a petition or a request. It's a blessing and a prayer, but it's one that praises God for his character and his activity rather than asking him for something. And the point that Paul makes here is that Christian maturity is the ability to live at the crossroads of affliction and comfort. We can, by God's grace, experience both affliction and comfort in all their fullness without minimizing or sentimentalizing one or the other. So these two things seem to be in opposition to one another, but rather are actually interpenetrating realities that God uses to grow his children, to mature his children, affliction and comfort. So we're going to take a look at these two things, affliction and comfort, and what they look like in the Christian life. So what shape does affliction take in the Christian life? First, Paul teaches us that we suffer in Christ. Look with me at verse 5. He says this, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so also through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. There's another way of translating that that I actually think is more helpful uh, for, understanding, for understanding suffering in Jesus. If you have an ESV, you actually see a, a little note. It says, or down at the bottom, or it can be translated like this. For as the sufferings of Christ abound for us or in us, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. The sufferings of Christ abound in us. But what does that mean? How are we to understand that Jesus, that we suffer in Christ and that Christ's sufferings abound in us? There are a few ways of understanding what it means. First, some readers say that we suffer for Christ, that as his followers, we are his servants and suffer in his service. While that's true, that's not what Paul's referring to here. Paul is not referring to suffering on behalf of Jesus. The sufferings Paul is referring to in 2 Corinthians is the suffering of Jesus himself, as if Paul is carrying on the suffering of Jesus in his flesh into the world. He actually will go on to say that, that he carries on the suffering of Jesus in his flesh. He says it later in 2 Corinthians. He also refers to the same idea in Philippians 3 when he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection 
and to share in the fellowship of his sufferings, that I might attain, that, that I would become like him in his death. Jesus' life was shaped by the cross. There are points in all of the Gospels that we see that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, that he was looking towards the cross, anticipating what he was going to suffer on behalf of God's people. He lived a life of sacrifice, not just a sacrifice on the cross, but his whole life was one of offering himself for others. And to follow in the steps of Jesus is to imitate that cross-shaped sacrificial life. To suffer in Christ is to have a life marked by sacrifice. He, Jesus himself says to us that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So friends, to follow Jesus is to have a life shaped by the sacrifice of Jesus. It's to have a, a life that imitates the sacrifice that he made for his people on a daily basis. We suffer in Christ. I had a seminary professor uh, at Covenant Seminary uh, who took a friend and their daughters on a hiking trip in the Ozark Mountains in uh, southeastern Missouri. And they did it in the middle of the summer heat in Missouri. They were celebrating their girl's 16th birthday. And so they took their daughters and they went hiking and camping, uh, what all 16-year-old girls love to do, uh, hike and camp with heavy backpacks. Uh, but that's what, they, that, that's what their daughters wanted to do, and so they were going to sacrifice. In the middle of summer, they were going to hike the Ozark Trail and to hike in the mountains and carry heavy backpacks. And what they found out very quickly was that it became an oppressive endeavor. They were hiking in the mountains in the heat of the summer, carrying heavy backpacks, and also trying to look out for their daughters as they're hiking. And at one point, they begin to carry their daughter's backpacks on top of their own in order to give their little girls a reprieve from the heat and the exhaustion. Friends, that's a small glimpse of what it means to sacrifice your life for others. It means that you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It means that you offer yourself to your spouse, to your children, to your coworkers and your friends, your neighbors and your family, not as their hero, but as their servant. Friends, Jesus came to serve, not to be served, but to offer himself as a ransom for many. Friends, that's what we do when we carry on the sufferings of Jesus in the flesh, is we offer ourselves to all of those people in our lives, not as their hero, but as their servant. And so we carry the afflictions of Jesus in our flesh into the world. But not only does the mature Christian suffer in Jesus, we also suffer in community. Look, with, look at what Paul says in verses 6 and 7. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we, are, uh, if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our suffering, you also share in our comfort. 
You see, friends, Christian suffering is suffering in community. Paul says that his hearers will be comforted if they patiently endure the same sufferings that Paul and his companions share. They will share in his sufferings, and to suffer affliction well means that we do not allow ourselves to suffer alone. I was reading one commentator uh, as I was studying for uh, this uh, sermon, and, and he, as he was reflecting on 2 Corinthians 1, he said this, Those who focus only on themselves are the most miserable of people. And then he goes on to say, Suffering becomes an unbearable burden when we feel alone and abandoned. And friends, you know this. You know this not only from the scriptures, but you know this from your own experience. That to suffer alone is unbearable. That to suffer in isolation is an unbearable task. But God gives you the church. He gives you the church as the fellowship of the broken. The fellowship of the afflicted ones. We, share a, we are bound together by a common confession. As Tommy said earlier, we are reminded every week that we are not alone, that we share a common confession, not only in this church, but with the saints who have gone before us for the last 2,000 years, and with the church around the world. We share a common confession, but we also share a common love, a common love for God, a common love from God, and a common love for our neighbor. And it binds us together. And so, friends, you do yourself and the church a disservice when you pull back from community and, and when you wallow alone in your affliction and in your sufferings because you were never meant to wallow alone. You were meant to share those sufferings with your church. We are born, uh, whether you were born into the church as a, as a, as a baby and you were baptized or whether you became a Christian later in life and were baptized then, you enter into the fellowship of the afflicted. You enter into the community of the saints. God has given you the church, the fellowship of the broken. And so, friends, when you find yourself pulling back, when you find yourself isolating yourself in the midst of your affliction, please remember that you actually do yourself and your church a disservice. When you withdraw from fellowship, you actually hinder the church's ability to care for you. You hinder the church's ability to carry the load on your behalf. Because that's what we do. That's what we do in the fellowship of the afflicted. We share our sufferings in community. And so we've said that affliction for the Christian, for the mature Christian, is to suffer in Jesus, but also to suffer in community. But what shape does comfort take? What shape does comfort take for the Christian life? First, Paul tells us that we are comforted through, by God through Christ. Take a look at verses 3 through 5. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Just as we experience suffering in Jesus, 
so too we are comforted through him. We have this mistaken idea, though, that, uh, that comfort means the easing of pain, the freedom from pain, that comfort is physical and emotional uh, satisfaction. We mistakenly think that God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, means that, that God will free us from pain, that he will make us feel better, and he'll ease the pain. But that's, that's not how the Bible speaks of comfort. That's not how Paul speaks of comfort. That's not uh, how the Bible speaks of comfort, especially when we're talking about God as comforter. Paul, uh, remember, Paul is a good Israelite, a good Jew. And so when he writes, he's often picking up on echoes of the Old Testament. And so what he's picking up on here are echoes from Isaiah. There is a whole section in the book of Isaiah uh, between chapters 40 and 55 that we have historically called the book of comfort or the book of consolation. And Paul is picking up on ancient Jewish language about God as comforter. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Isaiah 40. This will sound very familiar to you. He says, Isaiah writes this to the people of Israel. Remember, these people are those who are in affliction in Babylon, who have been exiled. And they're waiting for their restoration. And this is what God says to them. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The word that he speaks is not, hey, it'll be fine. He says, comfort, comfort my people. Comfort her, comfort her with what? With these words, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God acts decisively to end Israel's warfare and to pardon their sin and their iniquity and to restore them. This is God's activity on behalf of his people. And then uh, if you turn to Isaiah 51, Paul's picking up on something else here as well. Beginning in verse 12. God says, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? Of the Son of Man who is made like grass, and have forgotten the Lord your Maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. And you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy. And where is the wrath of the oppressor? He who is bowed down shall speedily be released. He shall not die and go down to the pit, neither shall his bread be lacking. I am the Lord your God, who, who stirs up the sea so that it, its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of, of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. Friends, he speaks this word into affliction. Remember, these Israelites were in the midst of exile, their second exodus. 
their second slavery. They were in slavery in Babylon this time, not Egypt. And what does God say? He speaks a word of promise into their affliction. He doesn't free them from affliction, but speaks comfort in the midst of affliction. God doesn't come to you with a back rub. He doesn't come to you with a back rub and tells you everything's going to be all right. It's no big deal. No. God doesn't enter into your situation like that. God actually thinks it is a big deal that the world has gone wrong. And he thinks it's a big deal that you suffer. He thinks it's such a big deal that he acts on your behalf. He actually does something to set things straight. God comforts you in his activity to enter into the world as the God-man, as Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. He identifies with the human experience, lives a life of sacrifice, and then ultimately makes the greatest of sacrifices and drinks up the cup of God's wrath on your behalf so that all can be made right. And then he defeats death. He, on his own power, because Acts says death could not hold him, he raises from the dead. And then he ascends and is seated at the right hand of the Father, advocating for his, for his people and for God's children. He has claimed victory over sin and Satan and death in the resurrection and ascension. He does so to redeem the world. God does this to redeem the world in Jesus Christ and to set all things straight. And he speaks that word of promise into your affliction. He does so to strengthen you in the midst of affliction, not to end the affliction, though one day Jesus will come back and will make all things right and will make all things new. But the comfort that God offers you is not an escape from the affliction of this life. But it is the strength to endure in the midst of, in the midst of affliction. His comfort strengthens weak knees. And it empowers weary souls with the knowledge that one day all will be made right. And Jesus has acted decisively by becoming flesh and offering himself as a sacrifice of atonement to make the whole world right. So God comforts us through Christ, but it doesn't stop there. When we have experienced God's comfort, we move out of ourselves and we become a comfort to others. Check out what Paul says is the purpose of his comfort. He says that he is comforted so that he can become a comfort to the Corinthians. He says... He comforts who, this God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we, we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we have been comforted by God. God doesn't comfort his children simply in order to make us comfortable. He comforts his children in order to make us comforters in order that we would look outside of ourselves and become a comfort to others. And this is part of image bearing. This is part of what it means to bear God's image into the world, to be his 
children. The God of all comfort creates little images of comfort around the world and in our churches, offering restoration and help to others uh, who suffer in similar ways that we suffer. And as, as we suffer in community, we become a comfort to other brothers and sisters. And friends, this too is not a simple pat on the back and a pithy, it'll be okay, God has a purpose for everything. It's not that. It's entering into the affliction of others the way God has entered into the, the affliction of our lives, the way he has taken on the affliction for us. We enter into the affliction of others and share their affliction and become a comfort for them. There was a little girl uh, once whose best friend had passed away. Uh, they were little buddies. Uh, her friend lived just down the road, uh, and they, it was common for them to be in one another's houses on a regular basis, in and out, playing. And a few days after the funeral, she went back to uh, her friend's house, where her friend had passed away, and, when she, and she was gone for quite some time. And when she had come home, uh, and she had walked through the door, her dad was curious. And so he asked her, sweetie, Why'd you go over there? He knew she had gone to her friend's house. He asked, why did you go over there? And with sadness in her voice, she responded, I went to comfort her mom. And her dad was a little caught off guard, and so he asked a follow-up question. Well, what did you do to comfort her mom? She said, I climbed into her lap and I cried with her. You see, friends, comfort is not a back rub. It's not a pithy saying that, all, uh, that God has a purpose in everything. And it's not even the freedom from pain. It's help and strength in the midst of pain, in the midst of affliction. And that's what God calls us to as we live life together in this church. He calls us to action. He calls us to bear one another's burdens out of love for God and love for neighbor. We love because he first loved us, and we comfort because he has first comforted us in Jesus and through Jesus. And so to summarize, Paul communicates that Christian maturity is the ability to live at the crossroads of affliction and comfort. And what that involves is sharing in the suffering of Christ, living a cross-shaped life, where we sacrifice for others. And we share that suffering within the church, within the fellowship of the broken. We then experience God's comfort through Christ, not only that he has redeemed and restored us by Jesus, but we are empowered by his spirit to move into affliction. And by his promise that all will be made right, we are able to move into our, our own affliction with confidence and with strength. And out of the comfort that we receive from God, we move outside of ourselves and we become a comfort for others. Friends, it's pretty simple. We suffer in Christ and are comforted through Christ. We suffer in community and become a comfort for others. And friends, you can't experience the comfort of Christ without experience the suffering in Christ. And you cannot become a comforter 
and experience the comfort of community without living and suffering in community. Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful that you have called us into your church. Whether we are born in it or, uh, or are converted later in life, we're grateful that you give us this community to live in. Uh, a fellowship of broken human beings where we get to experience the comfort of Jesus. We're grateful that you have promised to make all things new and you have acted decisively in Jesus. We ask that our lives would reflect that, that we would know the power of your resurrection and what it means to share in the fellowship of your sufferings, that we might be like you in your death, that we would be sacrificial the way you have been sacrificial on our behalf. Would we experience that comfort as well? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.